Production support comes from Smithville Fiber, the GigaCity Company, a philanthropic community partner since 1922 and proud supporter of numerous community organizations. More information at smithville.com. And School of Public Health Bloomington, Public Health Reimagined, addressing 21st century health challenges with a multidisciplinary approach to disease prevention, health promotion, and enhancing quality of life. Publichealth.indiana.edu. From the Milton Metz studio in the Radio TV building at Indiana University, welcome to Noon Edition. I'm Bob Zaltzberg, editor of the Herald Times, along with co-host WFIU-WTIU News Bureau Chief Sarah Whitmire. The Archdiocese of Indianapolis and Ron Colley High School are under fire after suspending guidance counselor Shelley Fitzgerald for her marriage to a woman and threatening to dismiss her if she doesn't end her marriage. While uh, Fitzgerald, who's going to be with us today, says she doesn't want Ron Colley High School or its students to face backlash, the student leadership has drawn nationwide uh, criticism as well from their own students. So we're going to talk with Shelley Fitzgerald in the first half of the program. And then in the second half of our program today, we're going to talk with people about the state voucher system because Ron Colley has received over a million and a half dollars in state funding through the voucher program, that, which leads to some question about, what, about whether schools that receive public funding should have to obey more stringent rules about discrimination. So for the first half of the program, we have Shelley with us, Shelley Fitzgerald, and you can call us uh, on the phone at 812-855-0811 in Bloomington or toll free at 1-877-285-9348. If you are from outside of the Bloomington area, you can also send us questions for the show at news at indianapublicmedia.org. Well, Shelley, thanks a lot for joining us today. Thanks for having me. All right. Well, do you want to take us back to when this started to become an issue? I guess, first of all, how long have you been at Ron Colley? Uh, fifteen years. Fifteen years. I've been years. at Ron Colley, yeah. Mm-hmm. I've been in the guidance department for 15 years. Um, I graduated from Ron Colley back in 1991 and um, just really honestly have never left. But yeah. uh, this is my 15th year um, in guidance. Yeah. So it's clearly your school. Uh, yeah. Absolutely. So what? Yeah. Absolutely. So what? When did you? When did you learn that there might be an issue or a problem? Um, well, let's see. Two weeks ago, yesterday, um, the president Joe Hollowell um, of Ron Colley had emailed me and asked me uh, for a meeting with uh, himself and Chuck Weisenbach, our principal, on Friday at two p.m. and um, and so I had emailed Chuck just asking if. You know if, if everything was okay and um i had a short conversation with him on thursday night uh and got kind of an idea of what it was about and then at 2 p.m on friday uh it was really when i when all of this kind of came to a head mm-hmm. so it was so how long have you been married uh, four years I've been married, but w- my wife and I have been together for 22 years. Mm-hmm. So did this just come to the school's attention? I mean, what what was said in the meeting that you can that you could tell us about? Sure. Um, my understanding from the meeting was that uh, there was a parishioner within one of our diocesan schools um, who turned my marriage certificate over to their parish uh, priest who then turned it into Joe Hollowell, our president. Um, and then my understanding was that Joe then uh, turned it over to the archbishop, to our superintendent, to our principal, and to the, ch- the chaplain at Oncali. And what, what's your status right now? I'm on paid administrative leave currently, just pending a decision from the archdiocese. Okay, paid administrative leave. Uh, so, um, so we'll talk a lot more about the specifics, but I want to ask you about your, you know, your position as guidance counselor. I mean, what are some things that you you uh, do in that job, and how how did you connect with students? Um, well, as as one of the co-directors of guidance, um, I. And by the way, jump in here. This is David Page, your attorney. Yeah, uh, I'm not real comfortable with her going forward with a, an extensive answer on this. One of the questions for litigation will be what her primary duties are, whether or not she should fall under the ministerial exception. So this is going to be hotly debated in the litigation, and I would rather she not answer that question. 
All right, David. No, no problem. I, I guess it surprises me. I'm, I'm just trying to get some background, but uh, I certainly respect that. Shelly, could you talk a little bit about um, was there anything in your contract that you remember reading saying that um, you know saying that you couldn't couldn't do this? I'm I'm a little confused by that. Again, the language of the contract and the terms of the contract are also going to be the subject of much debate and litigation. I'm not comfortable to answering that question as to any specifics in the contract. So the reaction of your students has been very positive. Can you can you talk a little bit about uh, about their support? Yeah, I mean, I, I have you know I've been um, I, I really just it's been outstanding the support um, that I've received personally. But I think that the the bigger thing that has brought so much uh, just pride and love to this is how well spoken the students have been. Um, and not just the students, but their parents and the community and former students. And I think that what's been really nice about it is that they've continued to do it uh, with respect and with kindness uh, for both sides, trying to, you know, understand a little bit more and, and to fight for, you know, what they think is the right thing, which is what we've always taught them to do at Roncalli, you know, to stand up for people who can't stand up for themselves or to fight for you know what's right, but to do it in a in a kind way, you know, with love in your heart, and it has been just outstanding that they've answered that call. Um, probably more amazingly than anyone could imagine. It's been it's been really really um, just humbling to watch. Mm-hmm. You've made it pretty clear throughout all of this that you don't want to see any action or reprisal taken against Ron Colley that would harm the school or its students. So right. what what do you what do you hope is the outcome of this situation? I mean, I think the, my, the ultimate outcome is just change, is to be, you know, more inclusive, to, uh, you know, make this a place where people don't just feel welcome, but that they belong that they're, they belong there, that they're an integral part of, you know, what makes Roncalli outstanding. And, um, you know, I'm no different than anybody else in that anything, you know, anybody that can come along that can make that place a better place to be is going to be a benefit for you know, the rest of, of people to come. And so, no, I don't want kids to leave Roncalli, and I don't want kids to leave the church. And, you know, I mean, in terms of the, you know, the funding that we're, you're going to be talking about in the second half, you know, I mean, those are hurting people that I love, and that is the last thing that, that I want in any of this. I just want Roncalli to be a better place than it is currently. Um, and it's already an outstanding place. I mean, it's it's where I've spent literally my entire life, and they're the, they are the people there are the people that I love. Mm-hmm. What's made Roncalli a, a good school in your mind? Um, well, I think that the faith-based environment um, is probably number one. I think mm-hmm. that, you know, people are there from each other. They surround each other um, with love and with prayers. Um, and I know that's kind of... You know, right now, what the division, what's causing the division. Um, but I think that, you know, just a, a, it's a community where people gather around each other. They kind of, they never leave. You know, once you're a, a member of the Roncalli community, you'll, you'll be a part of it forever if you want to be. You know, they're, um, you walk down the halls and it's just, it's just a different place. Kids are respectful. Uh, the teachers are respectful. Um, and people have a genuine love for each other that, you know, it's, it's just, it's second to none, really. And I've, you know, I've been in other schools, and I've, and I've taught in other schools, and I've, um, you know, been around other counselors who are in other schools. And I think that we hear time and time again, Roncalli is just a, a different place like that. Mm-hmm. So from, I don't know if, if they told you at all in your meetings, but is this a decision really that the school made? Or was this something that was coming directly from the Archdiocese? Um, in terms of the decision, I think that it's probably at the archdiocesan level, um, at the archbishop's level, um, you know, as to who turned in my marriage certificate and, you know, who decided to move it to the archbishop. I mean, I, I suppose um, one could argue that, you know, that those were their choices to do. The archbishop is just dealing with what he was given. So, mm-hmm. so I... I have a question that uh, if Shelley – David, you might have to jump in here, and, and if, I, if you do, I, I hope you could give me an answer. I mean, was this, is this based on um, sexual orientation or is it based on the actual official marriage? 
Well, Ron Colley has stated that this is not based on sexual orientation and that uh, gay people are, are welcome and love that Ron Colley, but then in the same breath they say it's because she's in a same-sex marriage. So how you split hairs and make that distinction that sexual orientation is not a part of this, I, I think to a certain extent um, is a non-sequitur and uh, some double talk. Mm-hmm. Um, so... You know, in 2018, the Seventh Circuit uh, extended protection under Title VII to sexual orientation as a protected class, and uh, I don't see how this is not a case of discrimination. Mm -hmm. She was fired because she married a woman as a female, and how that has nothing to do with her sexual orientation, I can't grasp that. I I might... uh insert here that we do have a statement from Greg Atulski, a spokesperson for the Archdiocese of Indianapolis. And uh, here's his quote. It says, the Archdiocese of Indianapolis does not comment on personnel matters. Also, lawyers for Ms. Fitzgerald and the Archdiocese are continuing to meet. Ms. Fitzgerald is still employed by Roncalli High School and is on paid administrative leave. So that's the only statement there. We do also have a statement from Archbishop Charles C. Thompson about the situation he says, uh, he, this is part of a longer statement. He says, I regret the pain that has been caused by the recent controversy surrounding the employment of Shelley Fitzgerald, a guidance counselor at Ron Colley in Indianapolis. As has been reported in the media and discussed publicly by Ms. Fitzgerald, she is living in a civil marriage to another woman that is not valid in the eyes of the church. She is on paid administrative leave. The issue concerning Ms. Fitzgerald's employment is not about sexual orientation, but about the church's teaching that marriage is a covenant between a man and a woman as established and revealed by God. So I think, uh, David, you've already addressed that. Is there anything else you'd like to add after hearing that statement read? Uh, no, not this time. All right. Uh, if you have questions or comments, we're talking with Shelley Fitzgerald today, um, the counselor, guidance counselor, who is on paid administrative leave from Ron Colley High School. Our numbers are 812-855-0811 in Bloomington or 1-877-285-9348 outside of the Bloomington area. You can also send us questions for the show at news at indianapublicmedia.org. Shelly, I'm wondering if the district gave you any options um, to consider before placing you on leave. Well, yeah, I mean, yes, in the meeting, um, basically my options, and I don't know how, I mean, it was a meeting just with the president and the principal, and at that time I was told that my options would uh, be to resign my position um, immediately. It would be to dissolve my marriage uh, from my wife. Um, the third would be to, to stay quiet and not make this public and try to, you know, with the intent of seeing if I could keep my job potentially up till the end of the year, if it didn't become public, and then they would not renew my contract at the end of the year. Um, and then, you know, finally would be that if this became, you know, louder and boisterous, that my termination would be, uh, you know, more sooner, would happen sooner. You've stated how how many times already just how much you like the school and and believe in its mission. So I'm just wondering, I mean, would you would you go back to being a counselor there after this paid leave if that were an option? I think that that we're you know leaving all options open. I mean, I think that you know we're, we we've wanted this to be a discussion. We've wanted this to be, you know, something that we talk through. I'm not positive what that would look like, um, but ultimately, you know, the goal is that that we want, you know, the, the contract to change. I mean, that is the ultimate goal that so nobody else after me has to go through this. Um, and so I'm not positive, you know, what that option looks like at this point, but, but we want to be in dialogue with the Archdiocese to move towards change for sure. All right. David, I'm going to ask this question a different way to Shelley. So, uh, you know, let me know if it's uh, not appropriate, but I, I just want to get a little insight into into her. So, Shelley, if you could just talk in general terms about the role of a guidance counselor and why you think um, that, that guidance counselors are, are such an important part of, of the school setting today. Hold on a second. Uh, 
Well, I will say this. I mean, in in general, um, in our department, I know this isn't the way that it is, you know, every school, but in our department, we have uh, five guidance counselors, and we're divided by alphabet, and I'm one of the directors of guidance. And so, you know, I'm, I'm also on the administration. Um, but we also have a full-time social worker at our school that deals more with the, you know, the personal social issues that come along. And so, you know, like with any guidance counselor, I mean, we do the academic counseling, uh, college and career. I mean, we're right now, I mean, that's, we're inundated with meeting with seniors about their college plans. And uh, we just finished meeting with all of our seniors and their parents to go through their individual plan, when and where to apply and how and financial aid and scholarships and um, all of those types of things. So that's what we're really inundated with now. Uh, we do scheduling, you know, and, uh, and and just really try to take care of the academic component of a student. Um, and when uh, when the social personal part um, comes up, that a lot of that goes to uh, our our social worker Kelly Fisher. Yeah. Okay. Well. Yeah. Mine. Mine tends just to to look at you know sort of the whole. The whole picture. I know that the you know for students who are going through high school today, just you know selecting a college and deciding what to do a career path, what to do after school has become uh, a considerably more you know take all the social aspects out of it. I mean, do, right. those things have become such a, a a more complex issue when you're thinking about financial aid and or not financial aid or a grant or what scholarships you can apply for. That's all. Uh, you know, so you're involved in a lot of that stuff. Yes. Okay. Yes. There have been. We were talking before the program started about a football game where both sides were supporting you. I'm wondering, mm. have you have you been to any of these events, or have you? I mean, how much contact have you really had with the school or any of your students who are supporting you mm-hmm. since this has happened? You know, that's probably the sad part to me is that I I haven't and. One key component of it is because, you know, at a, at a football game like that, I, mean, I, I want the attention to be on those kids having fun and being normal kids. I mean, their voices are super important, and obviously they took a stance, but at the end of the day, I mean, you know, for me to show up to a game like that would, would kind of defeat, you know, everything that I want in this of, of being, you know, kind and, and to one another. I would love to stand in front of people and thank them. I would love to be able to personally you know, hug all the people that have been supportive of me. Um, but right now, not it's probably not the best place for me to be, but I, I will take advantage of that, you know, as things settle down at some point. We have a question from a listener asking how this has affected your faith as a Catholic. That's a great question. It hasn't. Um, it hasn't in a negative way. What I would say, if anything, it's only made it stronger. Um, you know what? I think that people have asked a lot, you know, like, do I want to know who turned in, you know, my marriage certificate, and, and do I want to know who's, you know, on either side? And I try to stay off of social media because that, you know, doesn't help me to know um, who's against me. And there hasn't, you know, and although I've been hurt, uh, you know, incredibly hurt by this, I really haven't experienced a whole lot of anger just because, there, honestly, there hasn't been room for it in my heart. You know, it's like every time that you read something and you get a little bit aggravated, you know, I've got a thousand messages that are the complete opposite of that, of people who, you know, love me and support me who don't even know me, um, let alone the people that I've, you know, that I've been in contact with, you know, for the last 15 years. And so, um, no, I mean, if, if anything, my faith has only grown stronger that uh, this is, you know, this is the path that, that God is leading us on, and, um, you know, and we just need to, it to be one, you know, where, we, where we're gentle with one another. Thanks for sharing that. And I'm going to ask you another personal question. How's this affected sure. your relationship with your wife? <laughs> well, again, I mean, that's another thing that's only grown stronger. I think that, uh, so I think like with any relationship, you're, you know, you're mm-hmm. with someone every day, and I think that you, uh, you know, you see the value of them, and, and we love, you know, parenting together, and we have a great family, but I think that this has been a, a great teaching moment for our daughter, you know, our family in general, um, just how much love there is out there, you know, how much people want, um, 
people to be treated the same and, and how much people care for one another and they want to stand up for right, what's right. I think that there's been a, uh, there have been a lot of surprising stories. I think that maybe sometimes um, she could assume that I go to work and I just hang out, you know, but um, I think that, you know, that with the outpouring of, of support and letters and cards and notes and messages, I think that, you know, she recognizes why I stayed at Roncalli for as long as I did and why it was such a special place to me. We only have you for about one more minute, so I'm just going to ask, sure. you know, are there – what else would you like for the the, the parents, the Roncalli community, the students that support you uh, to know about how you're doing? Well, I mean, anything that I can do to tell the kids and the parents and the community that, you know, how appreciative I am – um, how humbled I am, how grateful I am is important. But I think that the other part of this is for them to know that no matter what the outcome is for me personally, the most important thing for me is, you know, is ultimate change. And so if this doesn't work out for me, that we can't stop this conversation. We can't stop talking about this. We can't feel like we haven't been heard just because the outcome for me hasn't been good because this is something, you know, I mean, uh, change takes you know, baby steps. And so this is, we've taken a huge one with this and I, and I hope that it continues. The conversation continues for the people who come after me as well. All right. Well, thank you so much for being with us. And yeah. David Page, thanks for joining us to help keep us on track here. We appreciate it. And so yeah. we've been talking with Shelley Fitzgerald, the guidance counselor at Ron Colley High School is on paid administrative leave. So Shelley, good luck. Thank you. Thanks for having us. We appreciate it. Thank you. All right. Thank you. So we're going to take a short break. If you want to call us on the program to talk about the state voucher school voucher situation, give us a call at 812-855-0811 in Bloomington or 1-877-285-9348. You can also send us questions for the show at news at indianapublicmedia.org. And you can follow us on Twitter at Noon Edition. We'll be right back. From the Milton Metz studio at IU's Radio TV building, this is Noon Edition on WFIU. Production support comes from Smithville Fiber, online at smithville.com, and IU School of Public Health Bloomington, online at publichealth.indiana.edu. WFIU News covers South Central Indiana and the state throughout the day at WFIUNews.org and on Twitter at WFIU News. You can watch unfiltered video of breaking stories on Facebook Live. And you can get a digest of all the day's top stories delivered to your inbox each afternoon. It's a free and easy way to stay on top of the headlines, plus the in-depth audio, video, and print news stories you can't find anywhere else. Subscribe right now at WFIUNews.org. Welcome back to Noon Edition. I'm Bob Zaltzberg from the Herald Times, along with Sarah Whitmire from WFIU and WTIU. And we're going to be – we are being joined in the second half of the program by Suzanne Eckes, who's a professor in the Educational Leadership and Policy Studies at Indiana University. And uh, we hope uh, – we have Dale Chu, who's president of DC Strategies. He's very knowledgeable about voucher school issues. He's joining us on the phone. And we're awaiting the arrival of Dan Forstall, a state representative who's going to be sponsoring some legislation in the next session of the General Assembly. If you want to join us today, give us a call at 812-855-0811 or toll free at 1-877-285-9348. You can also send us questions for the show at news at indianapublicmedia.org. Well, Suzanne, thanks for joining us. Thank you for the invitation. It's good to be here. Yeah. So can you uh, enlighten us about... 
you know, you were listening to the first half of the program. There are some questions that the attorney couldn't answer. Right. And he was uh, making the right decision not to answer those questions related to the ministerial exception under Title VII. But I'll just provide some context to okay. that federal law. So Title VII of the Civil Rights Act of 1964 protects against discrimination based on race, national origin, sex, and religion in both public and private employment. And as her attorney, David, um, correctly noted that there was a case in the Seventh Circuit just over a year ago, I think, involving Ivy, Ivy Tech Community College, where the Seventh Circuit did find that Title VII covers discrimination based on sexual orientation. That was the first federal circuit that explicitly found that. And since that time, the Second Circuit Court of Appeals um, had a similar ruling. And the Sixth Circuit Court of Appeals last year um, also found that gender, gender stereotyping was um, discrimination based on sex under, under Title VII. So I noted that Title VII applies to both public and private. Um, but in the private school context, um, there are some exceptions, and there are two exceptions that I'll note. Um, and these exceptions relate to alleviating governmental interference with the religious organization's ability to carry out its religious mission. So the first exception just very quickly allows a religious school, for example, if you have a Lutheran school to hire Lutheran teachers or Jewish school to hire Jewish teachers, and that's not really at issue here, and that's not that controversial. But what's at issue is this ministerial exception. And under the ministerial exception, this exemption permits religious organizations to choose and dismiss their school leaders without governmental interference, and it's rooted in the First Amendment's Free Exercise Clause and the Establishment Clause. So it permits religious organizations some leeway in who they hire. So that's what's at, at issue here. And so with regard to Shelley Fitzgerald, the question is, is she a ministerial employee? Because if she's a non-ministerial employee, um, this exemption would not help them. And there was a case out of the U.S. Supreme Court in 2012 um, that dealt with a teacher with narcolepsy, and she sued under Title VII and the um, I believe it was the Catholic Church had argued, no, 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 you know, we have the ministerial exception. And in that case, the teacher's role in the school was considered ministerial because she completed religious training. She taught religious courses at the school. Um, but I don't know if that's the case here. So that's perhaps what this case will turn on. And the court in that U.S. Supreme Court case declined to adopt a rigid formula for deciding what an employee or when an employee is a minister or not. And you may remember about seven, eight years ago, I think, um, in Fort Wayne, a Catholic school teacher, uh, her contract wasn't renewed. We had a lot of bad press for that here in Indiana as well. When she used in vitro fertilization to conceive a child, she was married. And the uh, school found that to be immoral. And there was another Title VII lawsuit there. And she was not found to be a minister of that school. In fact, she never led any planning for mass. She hadn't held a title with the Catholic Church. She never held herself out to be a priest, was considered a lay teacher by the principal, uh, was on appeal of Seventh Circuit, the, moved to dismiss the appeal for lack of appellate jurisdiction. This teacher was awarded $2 million. So this could be a costly um Costly for several parties involved. No, I think the um, that jury verdict was reduced. That amount was reduced to five to six hundred thousand dollars. But that's just to provide how that fits in under the ministerial exception. Yeah. Well, thank yeah, thanks for that explanation <laughs> because uh, you know the, the question was just meant to try to get a sense of what her day was like there, and and <laughs> now you've explained very very uh, well. <laughs> why he didn't want her to answer that question. <laughs> so it would just be determining whether some of the duties she she does would classify her as a ministerial employee. And that wouldn't necessarily happen just because it's a religious school, in a nutshell. Is that right? Um, it applies to this Title IX exemption applies to religious schools. So, And it's played out in other religious schools. In Massachusetts, uh, a year or two ago, there was, um, at a Catholic school, a man was hired to run the food services program. And he, his offer was rescinded when he put on his emergency contact list his husband. And he sued and was successful in that lawsuit because they didn't find him to be a minister. He wasn't teaching religious classes. So um, and then the same thing with the teacher in Fort Wayne. She was a language arts teacher. So I understand why David wouldn't answer that. You know, as a counselor who um, Ms., Mrs. Fitzgerald just noted that um, she does a lot with 
uh, counseling for uh, for college, et cetera. So, you mm-hmm. know, that'll be really interesting to watch this play out. Mm-hmm. All right. Well, Dale Chu's joining us. Uh, thank you for being with us, Dale. Thanks for having me. All right. So I want to ask you just to, to give us sort of the, you know, your 60,000-foot view of this situation as it as it. Um, pertains to, you know, uh, Ron Colley taking a million and a half million, uh, $1.5 million in state voucher money, um, yet it's not protected, yet uh, their employee is not protected by the anti-discrimination laws. So, I mean, how does this, you know, how do you, how do you read this situation? Yeah, um, so first, again, thanks, thanks for having me. Um, so, I mean, from afar, I mean, certainly, I, you know, my Heart goes out um, to the the, the counselor of Ancali. I mean, that just sounds like an incredibly um, difficult situation, especially someone who's given so much time and energy and heart. It sounds like um, to her work there. Um, it just sounds like a really tough situation. I, I certainly can't speak to the legal aspects of that. That's not my um, certainly not my 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 area of expertise. Um, but with regard to vouchers, um, what I can say is that you know when. Um, we had a legislation. Legislation was passed uh, in Indiana in 2011. Um, we anticipated there would be um, a legal challenge, um, which there was, uh, and it went all the way up to the Indiana uh, Supreme Court. Um, and the particular um, clause that um, the court looked at uh, was refer- is referred to commonly across the country as a Blaine Amendment. Um, and so, just a quick quick primer. Um, Blaine amendments actually go back. It's about about 150 years. It, it actually originated when um, uh, the country there was a big sort of nativist um, uh, a push in the country against um, Catholic education. So uh, there was a push uh, at the time. I think it was President Ulysses Grant actually wanted to put an amendment in the U.S. Constitution that would prohibit uh, public dollars from going to Catholic schools. Um, it failed. It didn't actually get into the U.S. Constitution, but the state push, along with this nativist movement, actually had a lot of success. So actually, there's 38 of the 50 states right now have these Blaine Amendments, which uh, prevents or to, with varying degrees of restriction of public dollars going to um, to private schools. Uh, so in Indiana, um, the court looked at um, the Blaine Amendments, um, and actually the, the specific, it's worded differently in, in each state, but in, in, uh, in Indiana's Constitution, it specifically reads, no money shall be drawn from the Treasury for the benefit of any religious or theological institution. Uh, and so the court looked at that as, as well as a couple of different pieces, and where they landed the primary conclusion of the court was that the beneficiaries um, of the voucher program in Indiana are actually not the private schools, but are actually the families. And that distinction is important because because the court ruled that way. What they found was then that the voucher program in the state falls outside the Indiana's Blaine Amendment. And the reason why I bring that up is with the discussion in terms of, you know, the dollars that are going to Ron Colley uh, and whether or not there should be some legislation to prevent those dollars from going um, to the school you know, I think about what the court said and said, you know what, it's actually not the school that's benefiting from the dollars. It's the families. So that is the case, and reasonable people can disagree, but that's where the court landed. Um, then it seems like if you were to do something like that, you would actually be punishing the families, or at least the families would be suffering adversely rather than the school. So that, there's an initial 60,000-foot um, All, right. All right. Thanks. Suzanne, do you want to respond? Sure. Um, so what um, Dale Chu explains is exactly right with the Meredith um, decision. And certainly some might argue under the Zelman v. Simmons-Harris, um, that was the big voucher decision Supreme Court decided in in addressing the, the Cleveland voucher program, that the voucher is given to the parents who ultimately then select the school. So specifically by giving public funds through these independent decision makers, the families, the state is not involved in the operational choices of the school where the voucher is spent. Um, but several people have raised that this reasoning is truly problematic, and here are a few reasons why. First, such thinking really neglects the fact that the private schools must register and be approved by the state education agency in order to participate in a voucher program. 
Second, the argument conflicts with earlier um, court decisions involving private schools, including private religious schools that re, um, that discriminated based on, on race. Um, and also it ignores the rule that the state in the construction was involved in the construction of the benefit itself. So, yes. Yeah, I agree with um, wholeheartedly with what you're saying there, but there are other legal avenues that maybe haven't been explored with um, this voucher program and other voucher programs throughout the nation with regard to discriminatory admissions policies and practices in place. Representative Forstall, I want to get you involved in the conversation. If you can, well, first of all, just tell us a little bit about the bill that you're going to propose. Sure. I mean, um, essentially the legislation that I've proposed would uh, prevent public funds from going to private institutions, schools in the state of Indiana that choose to discriminate, uh, in particular based on LGBTQ status. Um, you know, I've, I've said this in prior interviews, but I feel like we have to invest dollars where our ideals lead us. Um, and there is something very wrong with, in, in particular, in the case of Shelley Fitzgerald, where her tax dollars are going to an institution that is then turning around and discriminating against her because she is married to a woman. Uh, I think that is just fundamentally wrong, and it's a question that the state is uh, going to have to grapple with, whether or not we invest dollars in institutions that choose to discriminate. So would your bill place more stringent rules on schools that then receive voucher money? Or Well, it would it would set up a framework, period. I mean, they're, right now they um, operate, you know, mostly independent of um, – Government regulation, without the with the exception of receiving government dollars, uh, this would set up policies that would say that if you discriminate, the public dollars are shut off. Uh, Dale Chu, have you uh, seen legislation like that at, at, around the country? Um, uh, I haven't. Uh, okay. In terms of states that you know, allow voucher programs, and again, there's so much variety across the country in terms of how. Um, private school choice programs are implemented. Um, I would say, though, I mean, for, for what it's worth, that when you do compare states that do have um, voucher programs in terms of how, how much regulation the state puts on them versus, you know, states that are very laissez-faire uh, with, their, with, with their private school voucher programs, Indiana is actually considered one of the most, um, for lack of a better word, strict um, or heaviest regulations in terms of their voucher program, specifically with regard to accountability. Uh, and so what I mean by that is uh, in Indiana, um, if you are a private school uh, participating in the voucher program, even if you take one student to, particip- to participate in the voucher program, then every kid in your school, regardless of whether they accept voucher or, or voucher kid or not, then becomes subjected to the state's A through F accountability system. Um, that is highly unusual compared to other states. In most other states, um, private schools that have a voucher pro- or private voucher programs, schools that participate, either maybe have, they pick their own test, um, they might not even be a test, um, but the fact that private schools in Indiana participate in the exact same accountability program as the traditional public schools, that's actually something that's very, very unique to Indiana, and some foot would argue is actually um, a sign that the, the, the state actually has um, too much regulation on on their private schools, but again, that's it's a very highly contentious subject. I mean, people fall on both sides of the line when you when you talk about this. Mm-hmm. Can you, Dale? Can you sort of make the case for not making private voucher schools as transparent? I guess it is public schools. Make the case. I'm sorry. Make the case for them not being as transparent. Not being as transparent in terms of policies like this. Um. Well, certainly, you know, personally speaking, I'm all for greater transparency. I think I think the tension here is when a state, I mean, just when we, back in 2011, when Indiana set up their voucher program, I mean, you want to make sure, I believe, personally, that, that there are some guardrails there. Because once public dollars are going to private schools, you want to ensure some sort of return on investment. Um, at the same time, though, um, you don't want it to be too restrictive because... You want the private schools to be able to have, you know, some of the autonomy and to be able to retain some of the, the unique characteristics of that program, which is what initially draw you know draws parents to the school. And, and as I understand, Ron Colley has, you know, prior to this this episode, has considered you know has a very good reputation within the community. So it's it's finding that sweet spot between, you know, making sure there's guardrails, but also not being too heavy handed. Um, and 
you know, we some people feel can disagree sort of where to set that line. Um, but I think that's something that any state that has a private school voucher program um, struggles with. Let me offer our phone numbers in case uh, one of our listeners wants to get in on this conversation. 812-855-0811 or toll free at 1-877-285-9348. You can also send us questions for the show at news at indianapublicmedia.org. I'm just going to say that uh, both Suzanne and uh, Dan Forstall look like they kind of want to respond. So. <laughs> <laughs> well, the the initial thing that uh, comes to my mind is I'm a graduate of Roncalli High School. Um, and, you know, the, the high school is a Blue Ribbon School of Excellence or was when I was there. Um, you know, it's a wonderful school that I feel is in conflict with its core values right now. I mean, when I was there, we were taught to love and respect and accept everyone re- regardless of differences. Um, and they have chosen not to do that in the case of Shelley Fitzgerald, who is a member of my Ron Colley family. And so I feel very protective in a lot of ways. The other thing that really is, um, I think, needs to be addressed is that, you know, his eminence, the Pope, the leader of the Catholic Church has really been very clear on this issue that we don't, quote, marginalize or judge people because of their LGBTQ status. Um, This feels very much like a judgment and a, you know, I was going to say judge, jury, and executioner all rolled into one, uh, one policy and frankly, a contract that I feel was very unfair that Shelley Fitzgerald was forced into, um, you know, having to lie on or, or you know, hide something uh, because of it. And the school has known all along. And now all of a sudden it's a problem. And now they want to fire her. Um, I just feel that it's very, very incongruent with the values that I was taught in my time at Roncalli High School. Mm-hmm. And I'd just like to respond. Um, The question was posed earlier about whether other states have laws in place that prevent this type of um, discrimination. And so I was involved in a study about two years ago. It was published at Vanderbilt University with um, Julie Mead from University of Wisconsin-Madison and Jessica Alm, who's a a practicing attorney in Indianapolis. And we found really that no states have laws that provide, um, voucher laws that provide very explicit protections for marginalized populations where they say we prohibit discrimination based on religion, race, national origin, ethnicity, disability, sex, sexual orientation, gender identity. Um, But we did find the vast majority um, only include uh, race and ethnicity, national origin. So um, I commend you on your efforts uh, with your legislation. And it just leads us to the question, you know, do those in the state legislature and the citizens who elect them realize the potential for discrimination um, that currently exists in voucher programs throughout the U.S.? and, And should lawmakers ignore ignore these, these different legal and, and policy concerns? And should taxpayer money be used to exclude certain groups of students and teachers um, who receive this public benefit? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Representative Forstall, what's your take on Shelley n- not really supporting any sort of legislation that she thinks might hurt the school? She talks very lovingly about it, as, as do you. Sure. And, you know, here's the thing. we Being members of the Ron Colley family, I think you feel a, um, a very tight-knit community uh, feel to the school. There's no doubt about it. Um, but with, with all due respect to to Shelley, my job as a lawmaker is not necessarily to, um, you know, I guess kowtow to Ron Colley's, as it was called, uniqueness, but really their ability to discriminate. Uh, my job as a as a lawmaker is to decide where we invest precious, preciously scarce public resources. And the question for me that boiled that it boiled down to, and this was after days of agonizing over this uh, decision, truly, um, but after several days of, of really contemplating this legislation, it boiled down to do we invest public dollars in a school that chooses to discriminate? And I just feel that that is a fundamental question that the state is going to have to uh, grapple with, and I think that it's just wrong. So, um, Representative, with all due respect to the legislature, it, it seems like you've got a real hard sell here. Sure. Yeah. I mean, it's a, it'll be an uphill battle. The uh, the chairman of the uh, education committee said he wanted to protect Ron Colley's quote unquote uniqueness. Um, I look forward to having a conversation with him. Uh, the good news is that Representative Sean Eberhardt, a uh, Republican colleague of mine, has agreed to work on this legislation with me and, and co-author it going forward. So the fact that it begins from a bipartisan place, I think, bodes well for the legislation. Uh, but no doubt, it'll be you know an uphill uh, uphill battle. But I think ultimately, 
uh, as people reach out to their legislators, representatives, state senators, um, and hopefully the uh, at some point the government, governor will comment on this legislation. I hope we can get it passed. Mm-hmm. I'm wondering, maybe you could put Shelley Fitzgerald's situation in the context of a public school. Yeah, it's a, look different? it's a great question. So um, in a public school, this would look very different because the Equal Protection Clause of the 14th Amendment would apply. Um, uh, there have been cases where public school teachers have been fired based on their sexual orientation. You don't really see that happening anymore because really in the um, 1990s, 18, 1980s and 1990s, you saw teachers starting to win these lawsuits saying there's no rational reason to treat me differently than my similarly situated peers in this school. Um, and I did another study about a year ago at the University of Texas um, Civil Rights Journal, and I found there are very, very few lawsuits involving public school teachers who are fired based on their sexual orientation. But you do see you know, many even beyond Indiana where the private school teachers are are being dismissed. Um, it's interesting that the Justice Department under the Trump administration has posited that the Civil Rights Act of 1964 really provides no protections to even public employees who are fired based on their sexual orientation. Um, but as we've discussed, uh, the Seventh Circuit, the uh, Second and the Sixth Circuit have found otherwise. So um, that'll be interesting to see um, how that plays out. So... Uh, I guess, in theory, could parents complain, do the same thing where it seems like, in Shelley's case, a parent found her marriage certificate and complained? I mean, if they got enough of a community uproar, is that something that could happen in a public school? Yeah, there have been certainly situations where a um, teacher marries her same-sex partner and she's wearing a ring and parents would complain or there's a picture of the same-sex partner on the teacher's desk. This happened in Texas um, a few months ago. And... Um, I would argue if a parent came to me as a school leader, I would say, well, does the teacher next door to this teacher who is um, in a heterosexual marriage have a picture of, you know, her husband on her desk? Um, She's not being treated the same way. And um, that could indeed be um, discrimination. Mm -hmm. Dale, uh, Dale Chu is president of D.C. Strategies. So, so Dale, in your work with voucher schools around the country, I mean, this is one of the issues that comes up. I mean, what other ways are, are, you know, vouchers being challenged? Are there other ways? Oh, I mean, uh, it's, you know, within education policy, um, school vouchers are arguably probably the most, one, if not the most, one of the most contentious um, issues, just because for, for a whole host of reasons, including the, what, what's been covered on the conversation um, here this afternoon. Um, you know, I, I, I'm not sure there'll ever be a resolution in terms of this particular piece, just because, you know, there, there's sort of the folks who believe that public dollars shouldn't go to private schools in terms of sort of the system's point of view, but there's also the other camp which says it's not about public schools going to public dollars going to private schools. It's about those dollars going to parents uh, and parents um, making the decision. Um, and so it's, 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 it's a subtle difference, but it's a big difference depending on where you, where you fall on that line. And, and I would imagine for this particular conversation around Ron Colley, um, you know, uh, you know there, I, I would imagine there's folks on, on one side who say, you know, kind of like what the representative just shared, that, you know, he doesn't believe public dollars should go to private schools that discriminate. Um, but there, I, would, I would imagine the other side would then say, well, um, is it the state's responsibility to, for lack of a better verb, police the situation? Or should the parents then, if they really are upset with whether it's discrimination or with any issue at a school, should it be the parents then that are one that are empowered to, you know, quote, unquote, vote with their feet uh, and let that be the... The, the, the way the decision or the situation is adjudicated. Uh, and, and you're always going to have sort of the back and forth. And that's not just in Indiana. Um, I would argue that's in any state where there's um, uh, some, some form of private school choice. Mm-hmm. I, You know, I would respond that the, I don't think the two things are mutually exclusive, whether or not the state intervenes and whether or not parents decide to uh, vote with their feet. I think both of those things can occur. Um, but again, I go back to my time at Ron Colley and we were, you know, taught. It was, it was really... Um, drilled into us from an early age that if you see something that is wrong, you're supposed to try to write it where you can. Uh, and so I think it would just be, um, you know, really a, a a huge miss for the legislature not to step in when some when this kind of discrimination is happening um, to use the power of the purse, which is one of the tools that the legislature has uh, to 
try to encourage and also, if you if you choose to see it this way, give the Archdiocese of Indianapolis cover uh, to do the right thing here, which is to reinstate Shelley Fitzgerald. Dan, has Ron Colley already been hurt by this? I think their reputation has been hurt, yeah, uh, undoubtedly. I mean, parents that I've spoken with, I have a cousin who goes there. Uh, my uh, aunt is a Ron Colley parent currently, and uh, the the Ron Colley family has really rallied around Shelley Fitzgerald, and, and it l- indications uh, are that the archdiocese is going to choose to not do the right thing here, mm-hmm. and that's a shame, and there's going to be a lot of angry parents. We have two minutes to go, so... Um yeah. So, Shel, uh, would you like to respond? I mean, you're taking notes feverishly there. So. <laughs> well, I just want to point out. So, we've talked about a little bit around the Title VII issues and the application of the Zelman v. Simmons-Harris, the big voucher Supreme Court case. But there's another issue, legal issue, that um, isn't discussed as much as maybe um, it should be. Um, there was a case in 1983, and this is not 1953. It's 1983, um, involving private religious schools that prohibited um, African Americans. American students from enrolling. And um, there were questions around whether their tax-exempt status should be pulled because they were receiving this this public benefit. The K-12 school that was involved in that case, in their complaint, they um, said this is based on their sincerely held religious beliefs, our biblical interpretation, similar to what we're hearing now, um, that we have the right as a private school um, not to enroll and admit African-American students. Well, in that U.S. Supreme Court ruling, the court ruled that tax exemption was a privilege, and as a result, the private schools needed to comply with non-discrimination laws in order to retain their tax-exempt status. So not a lot of people are talking about this issue. You know, we'll see if um, the conversation continues in that direction. Um, Justice Alito did note this in the marriage equality decision. He asked at oral arguments, well, in the Bob Jones University case, that's the case I'm referring to, it dealt with the university and a K-12 school. Um, the court held that this private school was not entitled to tax-exempt status if it opposed interracial marriage and dating, etc. So would the same apply to schools who oppose same-sex marriage? And the attorney who was asked that question said, I don't know, but it's going to be an issue. All right. We are out of time. <laughs> this has been a very lively program, and I want to thank uh, Dan Forstall, State Representative Dan Forstall, Suzanne Eckes, and Dale Chu. Thanks for joining us today on Noon Edition. For producer Patrick McGurr, engineer Mike Pashkash, and my co-host Sarah Whitmire, I'm Bob Salzberg. Thanks for listening. Noon Edition is a production of WFIU and the Herald Times. A podcast of this and other WFIU programs is available at WFIU.org. Production support comes from School of Public Health Bloomington. Public Health Reimagined, addressing 21st century health challenges with a multidisciplinary approach to disease prevention, health promotion, and enhancing quality of life. Publichealth.indiana.edu and Smithville Fiber, the Gigacity Company. Fiber Internet, HD, and digital IPTV in southern Indiana. More information at smithville.com.